Well, I don't know about you, but the president wearing a bandana in the Oval Office kind of looks like the guy's joined Antifa or something. Okay, here's the bottom line on all this mask-wearing stuff. If it makes you feel better to wear a mask, wear a mask or a bandana or a scarf. If you don't want to, don't. People get flu, people get colds, people endure it and then get on with their lives. That's the way it's always been. COVID-19, in my view, um, and from what I've experienced so far, is nothing different, nothing different. Then, but the dangers of, potential dangers from taking the experimental jab, for me, are not worth that risk. I'd rather take my chances with my immune system. I hope I've got it. I hope it is COVID. Um, because I'd rather have the antibodies in my blood than take the jabs. And I can honestly tell you of a truth today. If I die, I'm not worried about that. I will not be afraid. I will not be subject. I, I told my children, don't be afraid. Don't be neurotic. Yes, it's out there. But God is out there too. You ought to never talk about the virus without talking about God. Every time somebody talks about the virus, you ought to say, Jesus. We talk about how these socialist ideas are coming from California. We, like, I can't tell the difference between you or Governor Newsom. I can't tell the difference. I can't tell the difference if I have freedom to breathe free air or breathe it behind, sucking air between, behind this thing. I heard a gentleman in the UK say freedom, if freedom comes with a caveat, which is a condition, if freedom comes with a caveat, it is not freedom. I have never once worn a mask. I have called the police, and people have tried to make me wear masks. I have never relinquished my freedoms, and therefore, I don't have to fight to get them back. Here's the headline today. There's much misinformation and sometimes deception about the coronavirus that is out there on the media as we are approaching a time when we must each of us make a decision whether we should take the vaccination or not. You have a solution called a vaccine that is being pushed by the governments of the world onto people, forcing them through various deceptive mechanisms to take it. Regardless of what they say, it's 99.96%. Literally only four-tenths of percent of people who get the virus actually lose their lives from it. Very, very important information, I do believe. And God helping us to push back on those who want the shutdown to continue, 
Hopefully, we'll be back together in person soon in June. We've made liberals very angry with us for our list of 25 ways the shutdown kills people. It's a horrifying list, showing that with some of it based on studies already published, that more people may die from the economic shutdown than will die from the disease itself. She's taken a lead independently on home-based uh, COVID training, which is really uh, a, a form of flu. And the vaccine is not a vaccine. It hasn't been tested. Uh, and it also impacts on your immunity, which is my, my opinion. With early treatment and with prevention, most people really don't need to incur the risk of the vaccine, which is still experimental. It's not FDA approved. And we're seeing skyrocketing complications and skyrocketing deaths. What I see in you is an ethical doctor, a patriot, and a God-fearing citizen. And I don't think it gets any better than that. There is a political element in here, and all of the Democrats don't want us to open up, and they keep claiming we might be opening up too soon. Look at the data. We're not opening up too soon. Raise Kelly. I will never forget the look on their faces. All eight of them. Their faces dropped. All their courage and strength was drained right from their bodies. They had a reputation for breaking up bars, but they knew that instant they made a fatal mistake. These are factual truths for the video compilation of public figures who fucked around and found out. In the order of appearance, those featured in the cold open are, were, Phil Valentine, right-wing radio host, remember him, the anti-mask, anti-vaccine skeptic. Um, the second person was Leslie Lawrenson. He was a vaccine skeptic attorney, attorney from the UK who told his followers, I hope I have COVID. 
Uh, the third one there was Gerald Glenn. He ignored social distancing orders and told his churchgoers, God is bigger than the virus. Uh, Caleb Wallace, he was the anti-mask organizer who fought against all COVID protocols. You remember him. Uh, the fourth person there was Veronica Wolski. She was a proud anti-masker and Q conspiracy theorist who openly harassed mask wearers in public and demanded ivermectin on her deathbed. More on her in a bit. Uh, Jimmy DeYoung, he peddled misinformation and called vaccines government control. Uh, Bob Enyart uh, was the person after Jimmy there. He was a far-right radio host who did not have many friends uh, later in life because throughout his career, he urged people not only to not take the vaccine, but he was known for mocking AIDS victims' deaths on live TV. Uh, Robert David Steele was the second to last person there. He's a self-described former CIA agent. I have not been able to confirm that. Uh, in any regard, he is definitely a Q conspiracy theorist and anti-vaxxer who bragged he was the first person to call COVID a hoax. Uh, and the last person there was the man, the myth, the legend, Herman Cain. Enough said on him. So a few of those characters we've already profiled here, like DJ Phil Valentine in the first episode. And of course, the inf infamous Texas Minuteman, Caleb Wallace. And, but one of the characters that was featured in that cold open who we have not covered yet is Veronica Wolski. Hello, everybody. Hello, brothers and sisters. Gail and I are driving through Starbucks now because they're so stupid and still wearing masks and I thought I would join <laughs> in my Zorro mask. So we're going to see what they have to say about me and my Zorro mask, which will show them how stupid they look in their masks. Yes, and Gail, she was videoing me at Little Caesars and all, she said she had a really hard time. Trying not, not to laugh. <laughs> yep, not to laugh. And so this is going to show people how stupid they look because the cashier at Little Caesars she just cracked up and said, oh, I'm mask compliant. Yes, I am. I'm very, so we're getting her a hot tea because we got a hot tea and they all, they gave Gail was hot water. So now we're going through Starbucks and getting a, a hot tea for her. See, you have a mask on, I have a mask on too. So I'm going to flip the camera around to get the expression of the barista. So I'm going to flip it around so you can see what we see. Well, this should be interesting. Oh, I can't. I would have to turn the camera around. So I'm going to give the camera to Gail. And then Gail can... Well, I don't know. Will that work? Oh, I'll just hold it and put it on her. I just want to let you know I have a mask, too. This should be so much fun. I think everybody should go around in a Zorro mask, right? and let people know how stupid they look when in their mask mess. At least I can breathe fresh air, <laughs> right? At least I can breathe fresh air. From Vice.com, Veronica Wolski, who's known for boosting anti-vaccine and QAnon conspiracies from a bridge in Chicago, was hospitalized two weeks ago after contracting COVID-19. Wolski's supporters claim that after two weeks, she had convinced the doctor in the hospital to administer her ivermectin, but she was then told that the hospital system would not allow any doctor to prescribe the drug to treat COVID-19 because regulatory agencies like the CDC have not approved it yet. Uh, this did not sit well with Wolski and her followers. The woman at the center of protest against a Chicago hospital has died. QAnon supporters were demanding the hospital use an unapproved drug to treat her. Joni is live with the latest on this. Joni. 
Hi, Sylvia. The medical examiner's office confirms that 64-year-old Veronica Walski of Jefferson Park has died. She was being treated here at Amida Health Resurrection Hospital for COVID-19. She, apparently, she had been here for several weeks. Supporters brought attention to her case, saying that she wanted to be given the drug ivermectin, but she was refused. And now supporters are rallying to try to bring more support uh, to this uh, woman and also to get more attention for the drug. Veronica Walski has recorded videos on Facebook and on YouTube about politics and COVID issues. When she was denied the drug ivermectin, friends rallied and protested online and at the hospital. Ivermectin is used for livestock with parasites. It is not authorized by the FDA or CDC for COVID treatment. Dr. Oz spoke about this controversy on Good Day Chicago this morning. I don't know if ivermectin works, but nor does anybody else, because we don't have trial data, high-quality trial data, because it's a cheap drug and companies won't pay for it. There's no profit motive. Mm. And I think that bothers a lot of Americans who argue, well, can't you just check the simple stuff? We know steroids worked. Thank goodness you checked that. What about all these other drugs that are out there? A QAnon podcaster urged supporters to call the hospital. Uh, there are reports of a bomb threat, and he uh, urged supporters to call the media. In fact, Fox 32 has received hundreds of calls yesterday and today urging coverage of this case. The hospital has said before the death that it is their priority, uh, the priority is the health and safety of patients, and that physicians follow the guidance of the FDA and the CDC in their treatment of COVID-19, the hospital also acknowledging that they have received hundreds of phone calls. Disgraced former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, who's a central figure in the QAnon movement and has 285,000 followers on Telegram, uh, boosted the campaign. Flynn had previously met with Wolski, whom he called a friend and patriot. Uh, but another QAnon influencer took things a step further. Lynn Wood, once again making an appearance. Uh, the pro-Trump lawyer who is one of the most prominent proponents of QAnon and has a Telegram channel with 815,000 subscribers urged all of his followers to follow his lead and harass the staff by calling the hospital directly. He says, and I quote, I called Am Amita Resurrection Hospital and spoke with a male care provider in the ICU. I gave him Veronica's name and stated that she had a legal right to try ivermectin. He informed me that ivermectin was not on the Amita protocol and Veronica would not receive it. When I tried to respond, he was rude, talked over me, and hung up on me. Can you help me help you? Yes, tell me your name again. It's JP. JP, my name is Len Wood. I'm a lawyer. I'm calling you from South Carolina. You have a patient in your hospital named Veronica Wolski. Her power, her, the individual with her medical power of attorney is demanding that she be released immediately. There's an ambulance, wait, wait, I'm not through yet. There's an ambulance waiting for her outside. There is a medical doctor waiting for her to treat her. If you do not release her, you're going to be guilty of murder. Do you understand what murder is? How does someone not understand why med <laughs> medical professionals are not able to give them an animal's drug? This comes on to the argument of right to choose. Um, I'm not... So I choose something that doesn't medically work. Right. I mean, that that is that is the issues, you know, in 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 this country where everybody believes they have the freedoms to do whatever they want, whenever they want, so long as it doesn't affect anybody else, even if it's goes against the 
medical professionals Hippocratic Oath, does somebody have the right to choose and self-administer medicine? Then that that is predicated on on informed consent. And can some can a layman be informed enough to even prescribe themselves something? I would say no. I'm I, not, yeah, I'm I don't think a health professional could legally medically prescribe something that isn't approved. Right, right. I mean, that's the question is should, they, should they'd I, be liable for their health from that point forward? Let's say I let's say I indemnified you. Let's say I said you know I I don't I hold you harmless. Should I still be able to go on Google find some quack bullshit cure and then force you to give it to me? In the correct doses. Should, should I be able to do that? No. <laughs> Stated simply. Because the second that that prescription is written, that person is, they are, are liable. Even if you have like some kind of indemnification, doesn't. Yeah. There, there's no. Well, you'll be happy to know that Wood didn't stop there. He then urged his followers to let your voices be heard, calling the situation medical tyranny, saying, this is genocide. We, not, we cannot tolerate, tolerate crimes against humanity. Wood then shared another post which provided the number for the hospital and told people to sh tell the hospital staff, quote, what you think of communists who violate Nuremberg and tell them what's coming for them. Honestly, the Nuremberg thing is like a whole rabbit hole. These Q people love to cite the Nuremberg trials took place after World War II as some kind of superseding law that they can try people under. It, it's just a whole rabbit hole. You'll, you'll hear Nuremberg come up multiple times from these people. Uh, numerous people in Woods channels and in Wolski's reported that they had called the hospital, and many of them uh, complained that the minute they mentioned the anti-vaxxer by name, the hospital staff hung up on them, as they should. A Telegram user called Panada reported that a nurse she spoke to at the hospital said people are just calling all day and threatening them. If anybody in this group is calling the hospital and telling them that they're going to blow it up, that's some bullshit because that's what the security is saying now, that nurses and doctors are being threatened, that people are calling to blow up the hospital. If you guys are doing that, you need to fucking stop because that doesn't help Veronica in any way. Ivermectin is... Typically used as a dewormer in livestock animals, but it can also be prescribed in smaller doses to humans. There is no evidence to show that it effectively treats COVID-19, however, but conspiracy theorists and the anti-vax community have already glommed onto it uh, after the publication of a study that seemed to support its effectiveness against COVID-19. That study, however, was subsequently pulled due to, quote, serious problems with their raw data, as well as outright plagiarism. This one goes out to all my freedom-loving patriots. Do you guys remember that hilarious video of the woman wearing the Zorro mask as she entered the department store, courageously defying COVID protocols and mask mandates, saying that she had some sort of medical exemption? Hello. I have a face mask on me, and I have a medical exemption and a doctor's note. Well, she died. Uh, Veronica has since died. No doubt the anti-vaxxers will say it was because she didn't get the ivermectin. Meanwhile, the CDC and the FDA have recently issued warnings about the increased use uh, by COVID-19 patients of veterinary formulations of ivermectin, as well as increased reports of the resulting illness. Yes, you heard that right. Despite being available in a four-human prescription form, people have resorted to using the veterinary formulation over-the-counter and are predictably incorrectly dosing it because people aren't fucking horses. 
so much so that the FDA felt compelled to post the following on Twitter saying, quote, you are not a horse, you are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it. And I, I appreciate the y'all. It's, it's literally <laughs> like why apostrophe. I, I like the folksy stuff like that. Um, they then linked to an article they wrote called Why You Should Not Use Ivermectin to Treat or Prevent COVID-19. The agency cited a case of a man who suffered hallucinations, confusion, and tremors after he drank an injectable form of ivermectin intended for cattle. He was hospitalized for nine days. Ivermectin is the latest flavor of the week alternative miracle cure-all from the anti-vax and Q-adjacent community. Um, so you might be wondering, what the hell is the deal with ivermectin? Welcome to Coronapod. In this show, we're going to bring you nature's take on the latest COVID-19 developments. And we'll be speaking to experts around the world about research during the pandemic. We're entering a new era now. We have new COVID strategies. There's some new unknowns and we've got a vaccine. Hello and welcome to Coronapod. I'm Noah Baker and we've been away for a week, but now we're back with a topic which has been requested many, many times on Twitter via email. And the person that's here to talk to us about said topic is reporter Sarah Ridden. Sarah, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So the topic that I allude to is ivermectin. So this is a widely used anti-parasitic drug and has been the centre of an awful lot of talk throughout this pandemic about whether or not it might be useful in the treatment of COVID-19. Now, there's an awful lot to dig into here, but first off, Sarah, why have people looked towards ivermectin at all in this pandemic? Well, like you said, it's a cheap, widely available drug. Um, it's used for malaria and parasitic infections around the world. In lab experiments, it's been shown to have some antiviral properties. And so people started looking into whether it might be effective against this disease as well. Can you tell me a little bit about what evidence there has been up until this point about how effective ivermectin might be? Yeah, the evidence has been really conflicting. There have been dozens of studies done on it because there is so much demand in the developing world for something that is cheaper and easier to access than a monoclonal antibody cocktail or even the vaccines, which are not widely available throughout much of the world right now. So lots of researchers have been studying ivermectin and done clinical trials. Those clinical trials have been of varying quality, though. Some are very large, um, very well controlled, some only maybe have a dozen people in them, and you really can't draw many conclusions from that. And people have done what are called meta-analyses, where they sort of collate a lot of these clinical trials together, do these weighted statistical analyses to figure out how good each trial is, how well it should fit into the overall picture of whether ivermectin works or not. And so far, it's been completely inconclusive. Even the biggest meta-analyses have said, We've got some evidence it works, some evidence it doesn't. We really can't say at this point. And yet some countries around the world, specifically in South America, have decided that there is enough evidence to suggest that this could be effective and have really widely been using ivermectin as a treatment or as a preventative certainly in the absence of vaccines or any other better treatments. Yeah, so that was happening a lot last year. There was a study came out by a company called Surgisphere. Um, they had also put out a study on hydroxychloroquine. They did the study on ivermectin, said that both drugs worked really well. Turned out that a lot of the data appeared to be fabricated. Surgisphere denied that. 
but those papers were withdrawn. But in the meantime, several South American countries, on the basis of that data, recommended that ivermectin be used. And some of them have since withdrawn that recommendation in light of the data being questioned. And I guess that's one of the things that we really want to talk about now. And it's why now is finally the time we're talking about ivermectin on Coronapod, is that there has been a particularly high profile retraction with one of these preprint papers that have fed into many of these meta-analyses. Now, you mentioned Sergisphere earlier on. We talked about Sergisphere and the sort of scandal surrounding that and hydroxychloroquine last year on Coronapod and how difficult that was. Tell us what has been the latest developments with ivermectin. Yeah, so there was a paper that came out late last year that was out of Egypt with several hundred participants that found ivermectin could decrease the mortality rate by more than 90%, which is just fantastic if a drug actually works that well. No other studies were finding anything of that magnitude, and nobody had that large of a study at that point. And so this kind of became a great source of hope for researchers and for the public who wanted this drug to work, because we really want something that would be that effective, and it would be great news if ivermectin were that drug. So this paper, I don't know if it itself made a huge splash worldwide, but it weighted very heavily into a lot of these meta-analyses, and with a lot of people who were doing their own studies and contacted these researchers. Hey, what did you do? Can I repeat this? Can I look at your data? And so this Egyptian study became quite well known. And in the past month, it was actually quite a cool story. There was a uh, master's student in London who was looking at this paper as part of a school assignment for a class, had to read this paper among others. And he found that in the introduction and various other parts of the paper, a lot of the sentences seemed to be exactly the same as other publications meaning they may have been plagiarized. And I spoke with him and he was just saying, if I had turned in something like this, I would I would have gotten a failing grade. It seemed like they had tried to cover up the plagiarism in some places. So he started looking more into the data and he realized that there were some other really questionable things going on in the, the data. He contacted a couple of internet sleuths, folks who in their spare time or as a profession analyze scientific papers for potential fraud. And these guys all together found that there was a lot of data that seemed to make no sense. Certain patients had been replicated dozens of times, like they would have the exact same numbers for their age, weight, blood cell count, which is just statistically impossible. They found patients who, according to their medical records in the data, had died before the study even started, before they would have consented to be participating in this randomized ivermectin trial. Right, okay, so we've got this seemingly dodgy data found by a master's student kind of by accident while he was doing a school project, then more researchers have gotten bored, they found even more dodgy looking data. What happens next? You know, what have the researchers that did this study in the first place said? You know, what happens to the paper itself, which was published on a preprint server without peer review, as many studies have been throughout the pandemic? What's the next step? They contacted the preprint server. Those folks withdrew it uh, pending investigation. They said that this investigation is ongoing right now. The researchers themselves, the Egyptian researchers who put out the paper, they said that they've done nothing wrong, that they told me that they hadn't had a chance to respond to the allegations, and that what looked like plagiarism was just common practice because researchers read each other's papers a lot. So it's still a little bit unclear how that accounts for the data that appears to be questionable. But anyway, so we're waiting to see what the results of that investigation show. And it really does remind me, I mean, this smacks of what happened with hydroxychloroquine, a really, really influential paper about hydroxychloroquine, which did directly have impact on policy all over the world, was then retracted because of problems with the data that appeared at a later date. 
in this case, again, there's this paper that may not have had the impact of that hydroxychloroquine study, but still was influential in people's understanding of the potential role of ivermectin could have inspired more clinical trials. And now it's being withdrawn because some of the data looks really dodgy. Basically, essentially, uh, it's what they're saying happened is a shitty paper got published hyping the benefits of ivermectin as a cure for COVID. And by the time that paper was retracted, anti-vaxxers and Q-adjacent conspiracists had already latched onto it. Um, you know, there's that saying, a lie can make it around the world before the truth has the time to get its pants on. And this is a great example of that. Um, but the more I think about this, the less it makes sense to me. Conspiracy theories in the absence of an explanation makes sense to me. Like, you know, UFOs. You see a UFO and you try to find a causal explanation, no matter how improbable it is, for events and a set of behaviors. That makes sense to me, trying to explain something that doesn't really have a good explanation yet. You know, people don't like, I don't know. People aren't satisfied with I don't knows. Uh, but when we actually have a vaccine and one that works, it's hard for me to understand why ivermectin is preferable to a, a proven, demonstrated therapy. Uh, that escapes me. Like all conspiracies, I think an element of it is based in part on the secret knowledge angle. I know this was big for me when I was in into conspiracies in my like, early 20s. It was like the what are they trying to keep from you? It That, you know, the cheap, readily available, already approved, to be well tolerated in humans alternative is what big pharma they, they that's what they don't want you to know about and there's like a feeling of su superiority that it granted to me um you know when i imagined myself clever enough to see through the ruse but then you know you use occam's razor and you just think about what's what's more likely here that a gigantic multinational public private joint pharma conspiracy manufactured and deliberately released a pandemic because you know they somehow make money off you dying that's not clear. Don't look too close to the details. Then they're pushing a vaccine solution to the aforementioned manufactured problem, all while trying to suppress the true knowledge about a cheap alternative. Or is it more likely that ivermectin just doesn't work on COVID and you're fucking self-medicating with medicine meant for cattle? Now more than ever, it's important for Americans to take care of their health. When it comes to protecting yourself against the COVID-19 virus, the FDA-approved vaccine might not be the right choice for patients who are allergic to reality. That's why there's Ivermectin, the COVID-19 treatment option for real patriots. With Ivermectin, you can say nay to the FDA and take matters into your own hooves. Don't take Ivermectin if you plan on driving, operating heavy machinery, or if you're wearing your good pants. Side effects of ivermectin can include uncontrollable vomiting and diarrhea, the inability to pronounce Kamala Harris's name, or a sudden urge to speak to the manager. Some patients taking ivermectin have reported hallucinations of lizard people in the halls of Congress, and in rare cases, finding Joe Rogan's podcast helpful and or informative. Call your doctor if you begin to experience delusions of grandeur about the supremacy of your race. Homicidal thoughts or actions toward your elected representatives can occur without warning. Join the herd. Talk to your large animal veterinarian about ivermectin today. Or don't, because you're not a f***ing sheep. So it should be noted that while pretty funny, that ivermectin parody comes from a group called the Lincoln Project. They are a conservative outfit who has been going viral a lot lately. And what they do is they try to distance themselves from the diehard mega types while, you know, being conservatives themselves. I, to be honest, I'm not entirely convinced 
that they're the good conservatives here, the Lincoln Project. I it seems to me that they just don't like the PR, the bad optics of the out and out racism of of the diehard MAGA types. I honestly, it seems like they are the kind of people who just secretly long for the days of the good old kind of country club racism back when racism was a little more subtle. Um, in any regard, there's no shortage of people on social media claiming that they are ready to quit their jobs and throw away their livelihood over these vaccine mandates. Those are the same vaccine requirements polite society has always had. I'm not sure why this vaccine is any different. You'll do nothing. You'll do fucking nothing. Not one of you will do nothing. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, but by and large, it appears to be mostly talk. Uh, they won't do shit. In fact, the mandates do seem to be having the intended effect with the the CEO of Delta Airlines saying the following. You know, we have about 20,000 people uh, who remain unvaccinated at Delta Airlines amongst our um, 80,000. And that was when we announced the uh, $200 per month health plan surcharge uh, two weeks ago. And as I said, that 20,000 is very, very different than the first 20,000. But just within the two weeks of the announcement, we've seen nearly 20% or one fifth of that 20,000 decide to get the vaccine. So, and again, many conversations, many discussions, and we're welcoming all those conversations to help our people make an informed decision. So the mandates do appear to be working professionally, unless, of course, you're a cop. Um, for such a high-contact job, you'd think cops would be tripping over one another to get the vaccine. However, last year, more law enforcement officers died of COVID-19 than any other cause, according to the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. Uh, but of course, the anti-vax rhetoric has spread among the ranks of cops. So even as COVID surpasses all other causes of death for law enforcement officers, Many police unions, including Chicago, New York, Seattle, L.A., and many, many other small towns, are fiercely opposing the vaccine mandates. The FDA's approval of Pfizer's COVID vaccine has opened the floodgates to vaccine requirements in local communities, and that includes law enforcement. Many police unions, however, are pushing back, saying officers should not be forced to get the shot. NBC News national reporter Janelle Griffith has new reporting on NBCNews.com on this issue. Uh, Janelle, what have you learned about the police opposition to vaccination? Yes, Aaron. So this battle is playing out in cities and towns across the country. Police unions in Oklahoma, in Seattle, in New York, as well as in Massachusetts are pushing back, like you said. And last Monday, hours after the FDA fully approved the Pfizer vaccine, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot said that all city employees would be required to be vaccinated against COVID-19. She said that there was no way around it because they needed to protect themselves as well as the public that they serve. Just as quickly as she made that announcement, the head of the Fraternal Order of Police there vowed not to comply. And this is something we're seeing in a lot of cities and towns, large and small, around the country. You know, Janelle, one of the people that you spoke to said uh, that officers are not used to being told what to do uh, and that that may have contributed to the lower vaccination rates. Talk, us, talk to us a little bit more about that. Yes. So I spoke to a retired law enforcement officer who used to be the head of a police department and the chief of public safety in New Jersey. And he said exactly what you just said. He said that we have to keep in mind that police officers are used to giving orders, not necessarily taking them, and that that may be contributing to the low vaccination rates. And he said that in areas where we're seeing pushback, 
he thinks that elected officials and the heads of police departments should instead take a different approach. Perhaps they could do things to incentivize officers to get vaccinated, such as giving out cash rewards if they do get the vaccine, or for officers who get vaccinated and still contract COVID-19 on duty, he said they shouldn't have to take sick time to recover, that they should get extra days while they recover. Some interesting reporting right now on NBCNews.com. National reporter Janelle Griffith. Janelle, thank you. Because God forbid officers are told what to do like the rest of us. That's that's only for them. Um, if the mandates don't work and people do quit in mass, then, then God damn it, I may actually have a chance of finding a job. Uh, unless it's a cop. I, I don't want to be a cop. Hard pass on that. Um, but on the subject of mandates, I realize it's a convenient shorthand, but legally, ethically, whateverly, it's really not a mandate. If you have a choice between being tested constantly at your job or getting vaxxed, in which getting vaccinated is the easiest and most logical of the two choices, that's not a mandate. A choice is not a mandate, and government incentivizing desired behavior and disincentivizing undesirable behavior is kind of the point of government. Uh, as noted here and elsewhere, vaccine requirements aren't new, and they've certainly not been as much of a political issue until now. Um, George Takaya on Twitter says, being denied service somewhere for something you can change is called a rule. It's a standard that goes against your sense of convenience. I, you have to wear a mask in a store. I, you have to wear a shirt in a five-star restaurant. You have to wear shoes in a factory. Being denied service somewhere for something you cannot change is called prejudice. That's prejudice. It's a standard that goes against your humanity. Being black, being gay, having a disability. This reminds me of a quote, not a quote, um, something my mom taught me at a very young age when I was kind of a little shit heel, always getting in trouble. She, she said, you can always joke, you know, but never, never make fun of somebody for something they can't change. And I, I've always remembered that, um, which is why it rubs me the wrong way when I hear people saying this is tyranny, this is racism, this is prejudice. And I don't know how any of that has anything to do with being asked to wear a mask. Um, but will the mandates end the pandemic entirely? Probably not. I'm under no illusions about that. Um, with a significant part of the world having lower vaccination rates and being a reservoir of unvaccinated people, it's it's likely or possible that this virus may well constantly mutate. I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Don't get your advice from a, a podcast like this. But the vaccinations are obviously necessary, even if not entirely sufficient on their own. It's just one of the many measures we'll need to take if we're to survive this. Uh, vaccinations will soften the blow as the disease fades probably into a general endemic like past pandemics of a similar viral disease. It'll probably be here to stay. Uh, and if the past two years are any indication, we're, we'll continue fighting about it all the way down. Uh, because no matter what crisis comes our way, whatever is deemed objectively to be the best possible answer for the most possible people, there will always be a group of stubborn asshole contrarians who make bucking the trend their entire identity. This whole thing reminds me of Derek Kuyper. He's not anti-vax per se, but he probably would have been. From Snopes, in September 17, 2004, an editorial published in the Daily Nebraskan and entitled Individual Rights Buckle Under Seatbelt Laws by Derek Kuyper, a 21-year-old senior at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, in which the writer inveighed against mandatory seatbelt laws, opining that, quote, Uncle Sam is not here to regulate every facet of life, no matter the consequences. And that Democrats and Republicans alike should stand together to stop these laws that are incongruous with the ideals of both parties. In the midst of his editorial, he noted, quote, As laws become increasingly strict for seatbelts, fewer people will respond positively by buckling up in response to those laws. There seems to be a diehard group of non-wearers out there who simply do not wish to buckle up no matter what the government does. I belong to this group, he said. 
Evidently, his words were far more prescient than any of us might have wanted, as an article in January 4, 2005, Lincoln Journal Star reported that Mr. Kuyper not only died in a car crash, but the tragic mishap that claimed his life was the very type of accident in which seatbelts have proven so effective in saving lives by preventing passengers from being ejected from their vehicles. Quote, Derek Kuyper was a smart, funny, intense young man who relished a good debate and would do anything for friends. Kuyper, a 21-year-old senior at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, died early Tuesday morning when the Ford Explorer he was a passenger in traveled off an icy intersection of Interstate 80 and rolled several times into a ditch. Kuiper, who was riding the back seat, was ejected from the vehicle. Two others in the vehicle, including the driver and front seat passenger, sustained non-life-threatening injuries. Derek, who was thrown from the vehicle, was not wearing a seatbelt, while his two passengers who survived were... so much for Dolores Cahill as well, professor, that she, she was on the phone all day long trying to sort out this one. Thank you so much, professor. Put your trousers on, my friend. We are going home. You are safe. Is it your stuff there? Can you get that one as well, please? And you follow me. Nobody will, you stay behind me. Nobody will touch, okay? Okay. What he's doing is wrong. No, he's not wrong. Oh. He's endangering your life there by doing that. I don't know who's endangering who's no. life. I just want to make sure that you understand. You, you have the right to decide what you want to do. Yes, yes. But I don't think he's talking any, that's what he's saying is right at all. You're barely able to breathe there now. We want you to stay to help you. No, Joe. It's all your choice, Joe. Yes, if you stay here, they're gonna fucking kill you, Joe. Kill you, Joe. Yes. These people, they're not the going to help you. Here, it's okay. It's okay. I have my rights. Because you are killing people. So that's because I'm pissed off. Uh, Stephen, I'm, I'm very worried about you. And uh, I want you to stay. I think he's saying something very dangerous. What he's saying is wrong and very dangerous. And I think he's endangering your life. It's a very difficult disease what you have. And uh, I'm not lying to you, you could die, but this would be your best chance in the hospital and getting the oxygen and getting the support we're giving to you. Joe, it will be your choice. Last to... night, they were going to bring you an issue, yes. we refuse. So why? Your oxygen is 98%, these people, they are lying. So we go home now, my friend, because okay. that's you your last think, chance. Think about this. Are you his wife? Yes, yeah. she consent. think about this. You're endangering his yes, life. It's okay. Um, it's better if you die in the house. Than, it's better if you die in the house than dying here. Um, um, He's gonna die with us. Joseph, I think you're very ill. I need to stay in the hospital. And uh, it's your choice, but I think I think Joe. he's not uh, telling you. He's not advising Come on, my friend. Yeah. We have the people that back you up. Come on, my friend. Come on. Sorry. Yes, please. Yeah, please. That was anti-vax conspiracy theorist um, encouraging a patient to leave the hospital against medical advice that went viral on social media this past week. Um, this whole story is like a massive rabbit hole, so it took me a while um, to make sense of it. So bear with me while I, I try to convey that. Um, for a dumb American like me, the accents are what threw me. 
there's so many accents going on there. But I found out this definitely took place in Ireland, specifically Letterkenny Hospital in Ireland. Um, first, the man speaking, the anti-vax conspiracy theorist encouraging this patient to leave is, na is an Italian fascist named Antonio Muradu. He's living in Ireland, and like many fascists, he's latched on to COVID conspiracies to further his recruitment agenda. Uh, when I say fascist, I'm not using that term hyperbolically or, or partisanly. I'm using it literally. Um, from the Galway Daily in January of 2019, quote, a far-right meeting which is scheduled to take place next week in Galway will face strong resistance from the local community. The meeting, which has been described as fascist, is set to take place on the 31st of January in the Headford Arms Risto Pub. It will be hosted by the general manager of the pub, Antonio Muradu, who is a Galway-based supporter of the Italian far-right Lega Party. Um, what Antonio does is he basically makes videos um, that's where where he says he can help uh, provide campaigners with the legal justification to to free themselves and their loved ones from hospitals trying to kill them. Uh, he provides template legal letters on his social media uh, and his social media pages, uh, which he says will allow patients to be removed from from hospitals legally. Um, number two, the patient who is is visibly ill and pale and audibly struggling to breathe um, while using a wheelchair is named Joe. Uh, he obviously appears to know Antonio, who is encouraging him to leave the hospital. Uh, Joe is himself a candidate for a far-right party called Direct Democracy Ireland. It's sovereign citizen, Freeman on the land type bullshit. Um, so he's probably more willing to leave the hospital uh, than it appears, so don't feel too bad for Joe. Uh, in the video, a member of the medical staff can be heard saying to Joe, you have the right to decide what you want to do, but I, I don't think what the Antonio is saying is right. He added, you're barely able to breathe there now, and we want you to stay so we can help you. Uh, Joe did leave, uh, actually, later on, uh, but he was later rushed back to the hospital uh, by then in critical condition where he was put on a ventilator. By then, it was too late. Joe has since died. Um, in the very, very beginning of the video, you can hear Antonio thank a Dolores Cahill, who is just a real interesting character. She used to be a respected immunologist, but has since gone full quackle mode. Uh, you may have seen Cahill before in a video circulating just this past July. She and other anti-mask protesters were seen trying to enter a building in Ireland where votes were being counted for an election. You are not upholding the Constitution, and you are asking unlawful... Excuse me, don't touch me, that's assault! Don't touch me! How dare you? you don't, don't touch me! me. You don't you're you're me. restricting my entrance! Do you know if you restrict someone, it's actually rape under the law? Really? It I is rape under the law. If you prevent someone from leaving or entering a building, I am a woman. Oh, yeah? You are a man. Well, I don't you. know you. You are restricting my thing, yeah. my entry into no, this building. If you want to come in, all you have to do is put on a mask. Don't I don't to. consent to put on a mask, well, well, then, don't, then you don't get in. Would your mother be very proud of you? My mother would be absolutely ecstatic. Thanks well, very much I, for asking about her. I do not consent. I want to go into this I'm building. To you, sir. Come here. I want to go into the building. If you touch me without my consent as a man, it is an invasion of my bodily integrity. That this is the same thing that happened in Germany in 1933 and 1934. And this is how tyranny starts. This is how tyranny starts, when, when the police will not uphold the law and will not uphold the Constitution. And, and essentially, they're laughing at us. Oh, but how did she get to equivocating that to rape? I mean, these people aren't playing with a full deck of cards. But that's what's scary about Cahill, is she is not a run-of-the-mill anti-intellectual grifter. From McGill, Canada, 
Um, it says Cahill was a tenured professor at the School of Medicine of University College Dublin with a doctorate degree in immunology. She is part of a coterie of outspoken academics and healthcare professionals spreading harmful misinformation about COVID. Cahill, who until recently was teaching a class of first-year medical students called Science, Medicine, and Society, has been making a number of staggeringly erroneous claims about COVID-19 and its associated vaccines since the beginning of the pandemic, never correcting her mistakes and always doubling down. And, you know, if you're under like 70 or 65 and you've no underlying conditions, this is all a hoax. And we have to call it out. And the reason why it's a hoax, it's not that we're not worried about people dying, that if you boost your immune system with vitamins and zinc, you can clear the virus. What's wild to me about that clip is that I actually know the person she's interviewing, not personally know the person, but I, I'm, I, I used to be subscribed to the person she's um, being interviewed by. His, his name's Computing Forever. And he sort of became around 2016 when this was popular. Everybody, everybody's getting all political and going pro-Trump and getting anti-woke. And it's just wild to me to watch somebody who I used to be subscribed to for his tech commentary just go down this rabbit hole and almost reflect on how I almost went down this alt-right rabbit hole, right? I, I I used to respect this guy's opinion on tech, and then he started getting all anti-woke, and then I was like, yeah, he's kind of making a point. And it really is just a testament to the fact that people will do anything for clicks, and it's just crazy to me to see where he is now, you know, interviewing quacks, basically. Uh, Cahill, anyways... Cahill has said falsely that COVID-19 can be prevented by taking vitamin C, vitamin D, and zinc, and that the most efficient treatment is in the form of hydroxychloroquine, a cheap medication against malaria and autoimmune diseases that turned into an object of worship uh, for some of the Q-adjacent people, even as the evidence clearly showed it did not work against COVID-19. She has boldly stated that children wearing a mask, the kind that doctors and nurses and dentists have been wearing for decades, would be starved of oxygen and see their IQs lowered. As for the RNA-based vaccine, she falsely claimed they did more harm than good. In late December 2020, Cahill claimed in a film discussion that regarding the COVID-19 vaccines being rolled out in the UK, quote, most of the elderly, most of those people will have serious adverse events or will die in the next few months. So very simply, I suppose, I would be saying that these mRNA vaccines, which all of the coronaviruses are, cause much more harm than good that I've spent uh, 20 years working in immunology. I would not take them. I wouldn't recommend them for any of my family. And I've more or less put my career on the line, you know, to try and get them information out that in the last 40 years, zero RNA vaccines have been licensed to be on the vaccine schedule, for example, in America, because there are huge issues around lack of safety studies. So in the animal studies, you know, most of the animals would have adverse events and either all or half of the animals would die. And uh, because of that, I've said, if you paid me 10 million, I wouldn't take it. I would go to prison first. And if someone vaccinated me, I would charge them with attempted murder, right? What's disturbing about Dolores is in terms of qualifications, she's actually leagues above the Instagram gurus and, and, and faith healing grifters. Prior to going all the way off the reservation, Dolores held significant legitimate academic credentials, ones that I didn't even mention before, working for many years at the Max Planck Institute of Molecular Genetics and as an advisor and international expert on many boards and committees, including the Irish government's Advisory Science Council. Perhaps most ironically, she's been active in the field of scientific integrity. <laughs>
Her constant misinformation is evidently heavily influenced from her personal political ideology as well. She was a chairperson of the right-wing Euroskeptic Irish Freedom Party until March of this year when she quit after being condemned for spouting COVID-19 propaganda. She's currently the president of the World Freedom Alliance, whose website identifies her as Professor Dolores Cahill and links to her University College Dublin public profile. Continuing from McGill, like many anti-lockdown groups that sprouted during the pandemic to seize the opportunity, her alliance fetishizes freedom to the exclusion of public health. In her mind, health is simply a matter of personal responsibility and sickness can be avoided by eating right, taking in sunlight, and buying the right supplements. Cahill's Alliance has already partnered with Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s Children Health Defense, which is a rallying point for the modern anti-vaccination movement. The World Freedom Alliance also has a youth wing. Its custodian platform publishes a notice of liability for people to give their doctor who refuses to treat them with hydroxychloroquine, and it has embraced the notion of natural law, by which institutions and their governing laws of their respective countries are not recognized, only the creator's laws. That also known as sovereign citizens. That's you, keeps coming up. These sovereign citizens, they definitely need their own episode. Um, but with Ireland and COVID, uh, you know, Antonio and Dolores, it seems like this, the madness is, is spreading to Ireland. And as of this past week, it seems to be exceptionally hard hit by the Antiva American variant. Uh, more from Ireland via a BBC radio interview. I've had the uh, worst weekend of my life. Uh, this week, last weekend, there, uh, my daughter passed away on Saturday. Just uh, on COVID-19. Saturday, Kevin. Yes. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. My mummy got buried yesterday. She had COVID nineteen, uh, and she never. Both of them never took the, the COVID nineteen injections. I believed. I sort of believe what they want to believe about the COVID nineteen. But sorry, just... Kevin. I'm sorry to cut across you. Have you just said both your daughter and your wife? have died in recent days yeah, from COVID? Yeah, my ex-partner, yes. And uh, How old was uh, your daughter? My daughter was 32 with four kids. And to make matters worse, Stephen, was it's her oldest son's birthday day. He would have been 13 today. So these people who are not taking the COVID-19 injection, they're not thinking of the old people that they leave behind. I've lost my daughter, my best friend. All I have memories of with her is motorbike racing, fishing, driving diggers on me. That's all the memories I have. I can't... She's getting buried next Monday. I can't give her a kiss, cheerio. And I've heard other people come on and have lost parents. And, but to happen to your own family, I wouldn't wish it nobody what, what I've gone through. I've come back to work today to get my mind off it. But next Monday, I have to bury my my firstborn, my best friend, the daughter, and I wouldn't wish anybody. But I just never get can get out of my mind why she didn't take it. I just it will haunt me for the rest of my life. Known and don't be wrong, she's, there's a lot of good friends Sammy Joe has, and raise money to help her and her husband and her kids. They raise up to ten thousand pounds. I, I can't thank them enough, but I just wish. These people sitting out there and looking out to be this injections, corruption, this, and they've heard that much stuff rubbish on Facebook. If she had took it, she would have been live today, her and her mummy. And I, I wouldn't wish anybody what I'm going through, the rest of my life will haunt me. But I've not seen my daughter. And I just wish people out there would just sometimes, you know, listen to the experts, because that's what they are. But 
there is people out there in Northern Ireland, there's loads of people out there are just, I'm devastated and I just, I just live from day to day. Kevin, I'm I, so sorry. I don't want nobody to go through, but that man has to go through wearing his four kids on his own. It's so sad that we've got the opportunity to take it. And I'm not just talking to people, I'm talking loads of people in Northern Ireland and loads of people out there sitting there and not taking They just they don't really realise realize what they're leaving behind. We have to pick up the pieces. You know what I mean? So I just take every day as it comes now. Nothing bothers me anymore. I just, I'm just devastated. I have two sons as well. And they haven't went to work because they've lost a sister. I just wish to God, you know, to talk it to my mind every night, thinking, why didn't you take it? Why didn't you take it? I can't bring back the past. It's in the past, but I just wish people out there could just take it and just, you know, take it because don't let go through what I'm going through. Any parent goes through. I've never lost a child. I lost a child I got. It was something which could have been lived today. I just wish to God somebody could just give it to them and just that was it, do you know what I mean? And they work for the community, you know, old people's helping old people and they couldn't even help themselves, you know what I mean? I just... Kevin, this is... It, it is extraordinary. I mean, I just, I just ex- go to work today and I just... I've next Monday I'll bury my daughter. And I, I, some, I wouldn't wish it nobody. I can't say Toyota or, or give her a hug. Nothing. I can do nothing. I phoned up every day, every morning, every night, the hospital, and the hospital has been fantastic, done down the hospital. I phoned every morning and apologising, but you know, she sent me a couple of text messages before she died. You know, and I'll keep them. So I just wish the people who don't want to take it realise what they're going to leave behind because it will kill them. She's a thirty-two-year-old healthy girl, and took a hard failure at at the end because she just couldn't cope. So you might be wondering, where does all this vaccine-specific misinformation come from? Well, I could find no greater single source for direct-from-the-tap, unfiltered, artisanal, anti-vax fear-mongering than a website called OpenVares. Uh, the actual open-source intelligence investigators over at Logically AI provide an excellent breakdown. I highly recommend them. They just do great open-source intelligence work like this one. Uh, from from Logically.ai, OpenVares is a U.S.-focused site that was created in January this year. The project used to live on the archivist.net, which was created in September 2019 until its owner created a separate website dedicated to the misrepresentation of COVID-19 vaccine data. OpenVares repackages raw federal data from the official VAERS uh, website to push an anti-vax agenda. The site misrepresents data collected on the official VAERS and publishes it in a way that is, has very likely made a significant contribution to vaccine hesitancy. The website publishes unverified data and statistics on how many people have allegedly died or suffered injuries after getting the COVID-19 vaccine. The site features a red box summary page, which shows misrepresented figures in large fonts. Social media users often share screenshots of this page on other sites like Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook, which see thousands of shares from the site every day. Although the site is less than a year old, more than 1.23 million people have visited it in the past six months alone, a substantial increase since July. Our research shows that 30% of OpenVare's referral traffic comes from 
The Gateway Pundit, a far-right website that often publishes fake news and conspiracy theories. To put that into perspective, comparatively, the official VAERS website, uh, run by the government, has recorded 796,000 visits between February and July 2021. We found that almost 3% of the official VAERS website referral traffic actually comes from open VAERS. So only 3% of the people find their way from the bullshit website to the real one. The rest, who knows? The link to the Open Vares website has been shared over 20,000 times on Facebook with over 50,000 interactions over the last seven months, though this doesn't capture the full impact of Open Vares on COVID-19 vaccine skepticism. As outlined above, many of the posts originating from Open Vares, that's the bullshit version, consist of screenshots, which would not appear in data and how often Open Vares has been shared on platforms. Misrepresenting official Vares data has become an important way for anti-vaxxers to spread misinformation about vaccines. They primarily succeed in doing so because for many people, it isn't immediately clear how the original VAERS works or how its data should be interpreted. So a bit more about the official VAERS. This is the one open VAERS is named after, and the naming just makes it even more confusing on purpose. So the official VAERS was created in 1988 and is co-managed by the Centers for Disease Control, and the U.S. FDA. Um, the system was created to, quote, detect possible safety problems in U.S. licensed vaccines. While healthcare professionals and vaccine companies are required to make some reports, most records on VAERS are self-reported. People are encouraged to report any adverse event that occurs after receiving or administering a vaccine license in the U.S., whether or not that user believes that the vaccine caused the adverse event. VAERS simply accumulates this raw data and makes it available for anybody to download. Since the VAERS data has not undergone any kind of independent verification or statistical analysis, the VAERS website categorically states that the reports, quote, may contain information that is incomplete, inaccurate, coincidental, or unverifiable. In large part, reports to VAERS are voluntary, which means they are subject to biases. This creates specific limitations on how the data can be used scientifically. Data from VAERS reports should always be interpreted with these limitations in mind. So VAERS guide for interpreting their data states, quote, when evaluating data from VAERS, it's important to note that for any reported event, no cause and effect relationship has been established. However, websites like Open VAERS ignore the limitations in VAERS data and then repackage the raw data to imply causation where none has been established. The website also posts summaries of reports submitted to VAERS. These summaries contain information like when did they get the vaccine, what their post-vaccine symptoms were, and also use a dot system to indicate who has passed away and who has recovered. However, these summaries are directly picked up from VAERS and then the information is not verified. So you've got like open VAERS, which is, VAERS is the official version. That's the government version. And it's a self-reported database. Like when I had, I had a reaction to the Moderna and a, 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 a pretty standard reaction. It was like one in 10 people get like a swollen lymph node in the arm that you got the shot in. And I got that. And I went to go look, you know, is this normal? And I found my way to VAERS. VAERS um, was, is just a place for me to say, hey, yeah, I'm one of these people. It happened to me too. That's fine. However, it is just a free-for-all. Anybody can report anything, and it is designed for these scientists to m look at scale and possibly pick up a trend. It is like an early warning system. It is like a canary in the coal mine. It allows them to spot trends as they're developing in real time, 
But because the information is just literally like any old internet web form, anybody can say anything with no verification or causation implied. It's all correlation at best. And that's even if, if the things being submitted are true and there's no way to verify that it is true. So the person behind OpenVares, this deceptively named knockoff like Kirkland dollar store brand Vare's website. Kirkland's quality, man. <laughs> Kroger brand. <laughs> this dollar store version uh, of of Vare's, open Vare's, the person behind this is like a Marvel DC origin story. I'm not even kidding. So continuing from Logically AI, this is what they do is they're able to find out who these characters are through open source intelligence and piecing together all sorts of little bits of data that are available on the internet. So from Logically AI, a Logically investi investigation can reveal that Elizabeth Pearl Wern Wilner, also known as Liz Wilner of Oakland, California, is behind the website OpenVares. Um, from February 2020 to January 2021, OpenVares was hosted as a section on The Archivist, a website that describes itself as, quote, uncensored voices and news of medical freedom, after which a site dedicated entirely to OpenVares was then created. A closer look at websites resolving to the exact same IP address as the archivist reveals potential connections to another site that was created by Liz Wilner of Oakland, California. Further investigation revealed that Wilner also operates the anonymous Twitter handle One Pissed Off Mom. One of OpenVares and the archivist's most active promoters regularly sharing anti-vaccine content since at least 2019, as well as links to both websites. On several occasions, the anonymous Twitter account makes claims linking vaccines and autism, and on one occasion, the account even cites Wilner herself as a source. According to Wilner's posting history on Twitter and Facebook, her child suffered an injury following a vaccine. Wilner then began posting anti-vaccine content on Twitter in April 2019, and by the next month, she had already become vocal in her opposition to Senate Bill 276 in California, a piece of legislation that was introduced later that year to tighten vaccine exemption rules for children. Quote, a sibling of a child who has had a severe vaccine reaction would not be exempt, she wrote in a tweet tagging California Governor Gavin Newsom. A family could have genetic predispositions and four children with vaccine reactions and not be able to exempt a fifth child. And it's blank about to get much worse if SB 276 passes, she wrote in another. She says, my daughter will be kicked out of school. We will be forced to move or sue. All to satisfy Pan's... Uh, that's referring to California Senator Richard Pan, the person who proposed the bill, Vendetta. She says, supermajorities do not make for a healthy republic. Wilner's campaigning around the Cal California Senate bill effectively prepared her for the onset of the pandemic when she began investing her time in the Open VAERS project, encouraging others to share the link to the site as well as opposing lockdown measures imposed in California. It wasn't until January of this year, 2021, however, that Wilner set up OpenVares as a dedicated website. Wilner's digital footprint is a good case study in how anti-vaccine communities can coalesce around a single individual with her Facebook profile essentially operating as a small but influential anti-vaccine community page. Wilner shares anti-vax content multiple times per day, as well as providing regular updates on the OpenVares project with those in her circle offering near unanimous support in her campaign with close to zero pushback. Beyond her personal profile, Wilner's influence is vast, with many thousands of people viewing her misrepresented data through the site she operates and still more seeing the decontextualized screenshots of her output across social media. So the next time you see some vaccine figures that just seem way off in between the handful of the same shitty 
uh, repackaged anti-vax meme starter pack images, you'll know the bad numbers probably came from OpenVaird. Today's Daily Grifted have open pairs to blame. I would imagine quite a few. Our first story is Dusty and Tristan Graham. They are in their mid-40s, and I'm going to make a habit of putting the ages of these people because one of the things that you hear a lot from anti-vaxxers, oh, well, they were old, they had comorbidities, whatever. Um, these people are in their mid-40s. By all accounts, they look like a normal couple in their mid-40s. Uh, Tristan and Dusty Graham were YouTube creators uh, called the Alabama Pickers, where they shared their exploits going shopping. They were known for their laid back casual style while running their business, flipping items that they thrifted and then selling them on eBay. Um, their nonchalant laid back attitude towards the vaccine, however, would be their undoing. In a video titled, We Are Alive and Still Reselling on eBay, they discuss um, some of their health issues, but maintain that they won't be getting the vaccine. Um... So yeah, that's what's going on. I guess we're still under a mask mandate. I don't know. I just wear mine down, down to here to just whatever. I think we'll find out in the next couple of weeks. To make people happy. Still haven't gotten the the you know what. The still in the bar. Still not planning on getting the still you know what. Still not planning on getting it. That, but um, if you want to, bully for you. I've got my own passport. It's called my... Uh, Birth certificate. Bill of Rights. Birth certificate and the Constitution. That allows me to travel wherever I'd like. Private companies want to... Oh, we're not getting into Private that. companies want to shut it down and, and say, well, you can't use, which is how they're getting around this. And they're saying, oh, it's not the government, it's private industry. You know what? That's fine. Then I won't travel with you. And there you go. I think this will be all behind us in a couple of years. And um, then they'll be like, oh, you don't need that anymore. Both Dusty and Tristan got COVID. Um, Tristan died overnight in their bed. Uh, Dusty was admitted to the high ICU and put on a ventilator and later died as well. I mean, these guys weren't like vocal anti-vaxxers. These were just people, the kind of people who might see information perhaps from open vares or wherever else and get kind of caught in the middle. And they're just like, I don't know, I'm going to wait it out. I'm going to see. And they waited too long. They waited too long, and, and they both died. Dusty passed away, and uh, uh, down below there's uh, was, uh, Dusty. Let's <sighs> set up that GoFundMe. That's been two weeks now. Two weeks, I guess, since... Uh, Days just run together two weeks since Tristan passed away and Dusty had set up a, a GoFundMe, man. The link's down below. Um, so that if you, you know, can spare anything to help the kids. Because um, they're my mom and their dad. Devastated. 
And BP is talking to her. I was telling her, I told BP yesterday that, uh, dude, I just, everything, you know, everything that I'm doing, man, freaking right now, everything just feels, uh, so unimportant. But it's never going to happen to us. It can't happen to us. We're young, we're healthy. And then it does happen to you. And then you start playing the regret game. A game this grieving young widow hopes that no one else will have to play. Christina Lowe lost the love of her life and father to her children to COVID less than a week ago, a death she now believes could have possibly been prevented. Good evening. Welcome in on this Friday. I'm Mark Mullen. I'm Monica Dean. In for Catherine Garcia, Lowe and her husband were both adamantly against the COVID vaccine. That is, until he lay dying in a hospital bed at just 38 years old. While she can't bring him back, Lowe tells NBC7's Alexis Rivas she wants their story to change minds and hopefully save lives. Michael Lowe served as a federal firefighter out of the Naval Air Station base here on Coronado, working here until just a few months ago. His family had hoped to move to Tennessee, hopes devastated by his death. We thought that the vaccine was rushed. We thought that it was more about money and about power than about protecting Americans and protecting the people. 32-year-old Christina Lowe says her husband of nearly a decade, Michael, was born and raised in San Diego County. But his opposition to recent California politics drove the family to move out of state. My husband and I, um, we honestly thought that COVID was mostly political, that the mask mandates, the vaccine mandates were all political. We did not believe that it could affect our family. And here we are today, and it's completely devastated my family. Christina says they had friends who got the virus, but only suffered minor symptoms. So as a young, healthy couple, they figured they were fine. Then Michael got sick and his symptoms were anything but minor. I went upstairs to check on him and his face was purple and blue. He was struggling to breathe on oxygen. Michael Lowe died from COVID on August 29th at just 38 years old. The last time I saw him, the ambulance, um, they were taking him out to the ambulance and I had to FaceTime with my husband while he was unconscious and I that's how I had to say my goodbyes. Before his death, Christina says Michael promised to get the vaccine should he survive. He also urged Christina to get the shot. She later learned her injection was mere minutes before Michael's time of death. I was getting the vaccine as they were trying to bring him back from him coding. She says she now lies awake at night wondering what if and worrying about the future of the family Michael left behind. We have two boys, they're five and six. They're now without their father. And it's just, it's absolutely heartbreaking for all of us. As a vaccine holdout herself, Lowe says she's watched countless stories of COVID victim relatives like her own. And says while she didn't listen, she hopes other skeptics do. And like I said, it might be political, 
but your life isn't worth that. Your life isn't worth thinking, oh, this is because of the president. This is because of the governor. This is because of whoever. Because once you're gone, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. Well, that's a sad thing when somebody politicizes a health crisis. Yeah. Again, they didn't seem like, and I found no evidence of them being like super vocal anti-masker, anti-vaxxers. Um, I can understand some of the concern too. If you see something that's rushed through and you don't understand how an expedited process can work for the qualification and you know validation of a new treatment. Yeah, I definitely think there could have been a better job at educating the public on on you know exactly what approval means and exactly what the process is and emergency use authorization and and why and how it's safe i mean we didn't handle it perfectly i think there is a lot of information out there the problem is it's like in between it's sandwiched in between all this other bullshit information that looks just as official and looks just as as convincing um again this couple she's 32 he's 38 and now she's a widow. Melissa, she's 30. Melissa was young, obviously, but how do I put this politely? Um, she was in an at-risk weight profile. Um, she was not an active pusher of anti-vax memes either. The most she did was up update her profile pic to one of those dumb stop the mandate frames. Um, this is really a story about the people around Melissa. On August 22nd, Melissa said on Facebook, I'm looking for a high-risk person that overcame COVID. Can you message me, please? Facebook came to the rescue in the form of Javon, a man decked out in head-to-toe American flag gear in his profile image. Javon said, define high risk. Melissa says, major asthma and breathing issues. Javon says, I would tell you not to believe everything you've heard. Melissa says, want to elaborate? It was at this point that rather than referring Melissa to a fucking doctor, this know-it-all asshole proceeded to give her what would literally be the worst advice of her life. Um, Javon says, the media says one thing, and we tend to listen because it's the most available information that is blasted in front of our faces. I found out someone with compromised issues might actually battle COVID better than someone with a strong immune system. That's at least what the hospital told me. The current statistic is young, healthy people are being hospitalized because their immune systems overcompensate uh, the reaction to battle COVID. Literally, my body threw everything at it to include the kitchen sink. Others who don't have a good immune system manage to get over it as COVID runs its course and doesn't do Pokemon battle with a strong immune system. So here's an actual doctor explaining a cytokine storm, which is what I think he was talking about. And so not only directly refuting what this idiot says, but also implying that people with Melissa's body type are in fact at particular risk. Hey, I'm Dr. Dennis Lipton, general internal medicine physician with Colorado Mountain Medical. So how does obesity and overweight uh, contribute to coronavirus uh, disease severity? Well, being overweight and obese uh, simply makes you more uh, susceptible to severe um, disease, whether it's coronavirus or other 
infections. And this has to do with your uh, respiratory reserve and the efficiency of your immune system. But um, coronavirus, for example, causes death very often by something called cytokine storm. So cytokine storm is where your immune system is using everything that it has in its power to fight the virus. Unfortunately, uh, in that situation, in addition to killing the virus, it's also destroying some of your own body tissue. So if you think of your inflammation levels, so up here you got cytokine storm. Uh, the healthy person, their baseline inflammation is kind of down around here. Uh, when they get sick with coronavirus, their, their immune system kicks in, they get inflamed, and then they recover. Um, it's been shown, however, that people with elevated levels of, of inflammation, such as what can be the case with overweight obesity and other diseases like rheumatoid arthritis or any chronic disease, if you uh, contract the coronavirus and you have this elevated level of inflammation and then it starts to rise, you can go over into this threshold of cytokine storm uh, and get really sick and end up in the ICU and maybe not recover. So you want your chronic baseline inflammatory levels to be low. Uh, this is something that your uh, doctor can measure. And certainly if you have an inflammatory disease, uh, it should be treated. If you are overweight and obese and have been considering uh, doing something about it, now's the time. If you reduce your weight, you can reduce your risk. Basically, um, Melissa never heard that doctor's advice. Instead, she followed Javon's advice with predictable results. Uh, on August 31st, she wrote, lots of prayers. They have to put me on a trach tube today. See y'all in a couple of days. Lots of fucking prayers. Melissa died shortly after. So from the great website, sorryantivaxxer.com, the brothers Broussard, 33 and 39, Nathaniel and Matthew, um, both anti-vax, both died within 14 days of each other. According to this social media post, uh, Nathaniel and Matthew have both died of COVID. Both Nathaniel and his brother were anti-vaxxers and then had to battle COVID to their deaths. Prayers did not help. Were they anti-vax? Yes, they were. Um, first, Nathaniel's post, a Democrats, when the fear starts fading, uh, shows a picture of Indiana Jones swapping out climate change for COVID. Um, Nathaniel also saying, I think we should have vaccine IDs. Someone else saying, I think we should have IDs for low IQ and that people who should wear them on their faces, suggesting people who wear masks are morons, completing COVID with illegal aliens, with Nathaniel saying, as they play the COVID cases spike card again. Remember, Biden let in over 1 million non-vaccinated and infected illegals. Um... Fauci posting, again, a pretty standard routine bullshit. Matthew, his brother, uh, saying to defeat the Delta variant, experts recommend doing all the things that didn't work the first time, citing the Babylon Bee, which is like the alt-right version of the onion, uh, basically. I wish the onion would come back, because I'm just sick of these chuds and their shitty humor. Uh, they seem to agree that Joe Rogan has the same credibility as Bill Gates. Um, is, I see this one a lot. Um, comparing Joe Rogan, Bill Gates with some people saying, all right, the left seems to regard what Bill Gates has to say about COVID-19. Why can't the right regard what Joe Rogan has to say 
Um, and honestly, I don't li- I don't think either of them. I I've never liked the idea that Bill Gates has as much fucking influence as he does, because he's not a fucking doctor. I mean, I that's not a gotcha. That's like a yeah. I shouldn't be listening to fucking Bill Gates buying access to the global health community is a serious fucking problem. But that's a separate issue than Joe Rogan giving terrible uh, advice. Uh, like most of the other entries here, the family and community prayed really hard for these two. Uh, and one of their friends posted a, a pretty sweet video uh, of, of them leading a prayer for Nathaniel and Matthew. However, uh, that didn't work. Uh, Nathaniel and Matthew passed away so with, with a loved one posting. I don't think this year can get any heavier. I don't know how my husband is holding it together. He left his job of 14 years that he loved so much. His very good friend Nathaniel passed away. Our home is a total loss due to Hurricane Ida. And today we find out that his best friend, best friend Matthew has also passed away. All right, this is the story of Rick. Um, Rick Rick caught all the cases. This guy caught this guy caught a bad case, man. Like Rick caught all the cases. You don't know about the cases I get. Uh-huh. Court case, briefcase, suitcase, cases of Chris Owl. They trying to say he I mean down bad. You know like Murphy's law where it says everything can go wrong, will go wrong. This is like Murphy's Law in a person. I mean, this guy, just everything that could go wrong for this guy uh, did. Um, I'll read some of his shit posts here. I mean, Rick was a QAnon anti-vaxxer. I mean, and this guy just got it bad. He started early in July 2020, uh, shit posting uh, about conspiracy mongering about a cashless society. Um, On August 9th, he, he posted a David D's image, which really... I believe QAA did a great episode on David Dees. I'm, I'm going to link it or it, cut it here. Uh, David Dees is just a prolific shit poster, a talented Photoshop artist who just uses his skills for all sorts of fucked up methods. Um, on August 31st, it said, would you pray with me once more? Rick has developed secondary infections, including fungus and CRE, which is one of the worst superbugs in existence. The doctors are using every antibiotic available to treat him, but if he doesn't respond, they say there aren't any antibiotics left to try. On September 4th, it says, Rick, sedation has been reduced, but he still hasn't woken up. We have faith he will, though, but we know it can be slow to happen, unfortunately. Uh, His white blood cell counts went down from 21 to 13. Um, My God is alive, and he is answering the massive amount of prayers you have helped send up for our dad. It's saying, sorry for the delay in updates. Rick, this will be a long one. He's been relatively stable and sedated for several days. Vance is still in the lowest setting. More prayers. Dad got his peg feeding tube placed this morning to start giving him more nutrients. He's been off blood thinners. As many of you know, he was overcoming COVID as well as two fungal pneumonias. MRSA, that's M-R-S-A, and the and the antibiotic-resistant Acinetobacter infection. He was also diagnosed last Thursday with a very rare autoimmune disease, acute disseminating encephalomyelitis of the brain, which was triggered by a viral infection and was causing him paralysis and loss of reflexes. It says dad fought COVID and everything else that could possibly be thrown at him and is still winning. However, he passed away with them saying, we fully believe he knew this his time had come and that he was going to a much happier place than the MRI hallway where he died. God bless each of you who have prayed. So this guy, this guy had a tracheotomy, fungal infections, pneumonia, coma, feeding tubes, ventilators, acute disseminated encephalo, encephalomyelitis, acetobacter infection, brain death. 
this is a dark one. This is this is rough. Rick, Rick just had all the cases down very bad and just proof that you should be very, very careful because in Rick's case, he didn't even know he had some of these comorbidities until it was too late. You know, I mean, with, with Rick's family posting, you know, the prayer posting, I want to talk a little bit more about the denial that we covered in the last episode because Rick's loved ones are definitely in it. That They didn't stoop to denying that COVID played a critical role in his death, but I feel like that's a really low bar that we're setting here and all too often isn't met. I mean, some of the cases, cases mentioned in the previous episode did go as far as insisting that COVID be left off the cause of death, which really does the family's grieving no good because that prevents the families from accessing federal money that is set aside to help with funeral expenses, allowing people to forego making a GoFundMe the backbone of our nation's healthcare system. So long as you put COVID on the death certificate, you can have access to those funds. But denying COVID as a, ca a cause of death has another drawback on top of that. More than 600,000 people in the U.S. have died from COVID-19, each leaving behind grieving friends, grieving family. For some Americans, it is hard to mourn when people in their communities or even in their own families don't believe in the science of the coronavirus. These dismissive attitudes add another level of pain and anger to their grief. Brett Schultes at WITF in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, has the story. Stephanie Rimmel is going through some of her brother's old things, including the cold medicines he used to treat his symptoms when he first got sick. And these are ones that he didn't quite finish. We really haven't thrown anything away, really. Her brother, Kyle Dixon, died from COVID-19 in January. He was a state prison guard here in western Pennsylvania in a pretty rural, conservative community. Kyle was just 27 years old. Like, I'll never get to be at his wedding. I'll never get nieces and nephews. Like, I'll never see him old. Like, that was the last birthday in September we got to celebrate with him. Stephanie says her brother was led astray by misinformation about the virus. He got it from other prison guards, from friends on Facebook, and some of his own relatives. Even after her brother had to be hospitalized, some family members were on social media repeating conspiracy theories and bragging about not wearing masks. So we're angry. So when people try to, you know, talk about COVID, they try to justify it or say it's not real or, you know, look for a reason. Well, well, he was this. It's really hard. Now, Stephanie and her younger sister, Jennifer, feel estranged from some of those family members. I don't talk to them. I don't care to talk to them. They're back to posting the same stuff. It's a hoax. Jennifer says if only they had seen what he went through. I wish they could have been there his last days and watched him suffer, watch his heart still be able to beat, his kidneys still producing urine because it was so strong, his liver still working. It was his lungs that were gone, his lungs, and that was only due to COVID. After he died, Stephanie and Jennifer made sure that the death notice said that COVID is what killed Kyle. 
But a lot of other families want COVID left off death notices. Mike Kuhn is a funeral director in Reading, Pennsylvania. His three funeral homes have laid to rest hundreds of people who died from the virus. I've heard people where they're just like, I don't know why, but I just don't want to have COVID listed on the death certificate. And I don't want to hear that COVID had anything to do with my father's death. Like people have said that to me. Kuhn says many families want to minimize COVID's role in the death. You know, I've had people say, well, you know, my my mother or my father was, was going to die probably in the next year or two anyway, and they were in a nursing home and then they got COVID. And, you know, I don't really want to give a lot of credence to COVID. In some cases, this creates a situation that psychologists call a disenfranchising death. Mourners feel they don't have the right to fully grieve because of controversy over the cause of death. Ken Doka is senior vice president of the Hospice Foundation of America. He pioneered the concept of disenfranchising death and a related concept, disenfranchised grief. He says this can occur when a person's death is tinged with a supposed moral failure and mourners fear judgment from others. So, for instance, if I say my brother, which he didn't, but if I say to you, my brother died of lung cancer, what's the first question you're going to ask? Was he a smoker? And somehow, if he's a smoker, he's responsible. Doka saw this a lot during the HIV AIDS crisis of the 1980s. One of the terms I got to hate was when people spoke about pediatric AIDS, they often used the phrase, these are innocent victims of this disease. Well, you know, to me, anybody who had it was an innocent victim. Kyle Dixon's sisters have also encountered something like this. They say when they tell people their brother died from COVID, they're often asked whether he had pre-existing conditions or if he was overweight, as if he was to blame for dying. It's as if, to people in denial, the virus isn't deadly. If a person was overweight or old or had high blood pressure or diabetes, it becomes their fault that they died. Holly Priggerson is a sociologist specializing in grief. She says those judgmental comments, they come from cognitive dissonance. And anything, including death of a loved one from this disease, like they just, they compartmentalize it. They're not going to process it. It gives them too much of a headache to try to reconcile. Priggerson says fighting cognitive dissonance rarely works. Don't waste your time trying to convince them of something that you're not going to convince them of. For her peace of mind, Priggerson had to cut ties with some of her own family after her mother died of COVID. Kyle's sister Stephanie says what has been helpful is joining a support group with other grieving people who agree on the facts about COVID. And in June, they placed the headstone on Kyle's grave. It says, beloved son, brother, and uncle. And it has a very pointed message on it, too. Yeah, um, it says COVID-19 on it. Her reasoning was simple. We want to make sure that people know Kyle's story and that he passed away from the virus. Stephanie says it really helps to know that long after she's gone, the truth will be set in stone. So what, they, they denied that he had COVID? In the last episode, yeah. I mean, that's kind of a common thing that some families are insisting that COVID not, they don't want to give COVID credit for mental reasons, for just psychological reasons. They don't want to, they, they probably, you'd have to admit you were wrong. Just hard. It's hard for some people.
an article from Politico called The Pandemic's No Motion, Vaccine Freud, has made me aware of what I think is my term of the week. Um, as you probably know, we've, we've covered schadenfreude is that German word uh, for joy at another's misfortune. A vaccine Freud is a very specific manifestation of that very useful concept is the joy the vaccinated feel when the unvaccinated get COVID-19. We've all felt it, even if we're ashamed about it, the author says. You know, after my conversation with Hunter Freeman, uh, featured at the end of the last episode, he was kind enough to share our convo with the infamous uh, HCA, Herman Cain Awards subreddit. And there was some pushback in the comments section that I thought was really interesting. Um, you know, Herman Cain Award is not an unbiased sample, right? You know, that subreddit, so it's to be expected, but the general sentiment was that the empathetic types, me, you, uh, the people twisting ourselves in knots, trying to find the most charitable interpretations of events, isn't actually doing the unvaxxed any favors. Um, you know, this they were deceived, they were misled, they were misinformed, they were confused. These commenters say, fuck all of that. Many people in there argue that the vaccine Freud is the point, at least of that subreddit, so that any efforts to extend an olive, olive branch might not be doing any good. And, you know, they're like, we're pulling no punches, and they make clear that they're done walking on eggshells. A lot of people's sympathies have just run out, and I think they do have a point. I mean, it's easy for me and you and anybody else who hasn't really been directly affected by the selfishness of the unvaxxed masses to take the high road. So, I mean, full disclosure, I've not been affected. I don't know anybody, you know, who, who has died from this. The unvaxxed haven't killed anybody I care about. I'm not a hospital worker dealing with the fallout of this selfish attitudes. And I'm not a retail worker who has to constantly argue with these people about, you know, simple niceties like wearing a mask um, all while being overworked and underpaid. You know, as exhausting as it is to even read about all these exploits, that's the extent of my interaction with these people, reading from afar. So, you know, for anybody who has to deal with the consequences of the selfish behavior, or even if they have it, who am I to fault them for hitting the breaking point? From user umpteenth, um, this subreddit is not an argument. I do not visit here because I want to convince anti-vaxxers to take the vaccine. I'm here to see the predictable deaths of those people who are too selfish to take the minimum steps to protect their fellow human beings from a deadly, never-before-seen virus. Pardon me if I have a hard time feeling sorry for people who were content to let me die when the pandemic was hitting my city the hardest. Pardon me if I have a hard time feeling sorry for those who are willing to let grandparents die for the economy. Uh, those who have said, quite literally, why are you concerned? Let us die. Those who have said that it's not their responsibility to keep others safe and healthy. And those who continue to reject a life-saving vaccine because they want to choose to restrict their information sources to those who tell them what they want to hear. Shunning the medical and public health experts whose expertise is available for free, with no barriers to access and ready at the fingertips of anyone who owns a smartphone. I'm no longer ready or willing to humor this idiocy, and I will not walk on eggshells to protect these people's fragile feelings. Go over to our nursing or our medicine and see the heavy toll this vaccine resistance and conspiracy guzzling is taking on the doctors, the nurses, and other healthcare professionals who have had to deal with the consequences, unsafe staffing ratios, disrupted training, overworked, burnt out, 
and the mental injury from having to confront needless death over and over again while being literally and figuratively spat on and accused of killing patients for money. These professionals have feelings too. Why should the anti-vaxxer be handled with so much care, but not the rest of us who have to live with the fallout of their selfishness. Because while you might not want to say it, they are selfish. If they don't like hearing it, perhaps they could try being less selfish. Or is that too much to ask also? For the anti-vaxxer, this is not and was never a compassionate place. If you value your life and the lives of your loved ones so little that you will not take a life-saving medicine to protect yourself and them, don't be offended when others also value your life as little as you did. Spare me the fucking moralizing. A couple of weeks ago, in the morning newsletter, I discussed whether the denial that is so evident among the anti-mask, anti-vaccine folks could be tempered if families would include COVID-19 details in obituaries. Over the weekend, a former colleague and Vindicator editor Tom Wills shared on Facebook the incredible tribute to Robert L. Allen that was published in the Tribune Chronicle. He was just 35 years old, and the family notes, this is not an obituary. This is a story about a phenomenal man, and a life cut too short. In loving detail, Robert's exploits, from teenage shenanigans, to his crush on the girl across the street who he would marry to his career in the United States Army as a combat engineer, are reconstructed. The void Robert left behind is tremendous, and the silence where his laugh should be is deafening. And just when you are saddened because a full life of promise was ended so early, you hit this. As a final note, Robert passed away from complications from COVID-19. He was a healthy young man with no risk factors. COVID is not a joke, it is not a hoax and it does not discriminate. Please, as a final parting gift to Robert, if you have not yet received your COVID vaccine, please do so. The price your loved ones pay for loving you shouldn't be grief. I was overcome with emotion. As the pandemic has ebbed and flowed, I have felt both my emotions and my temperament tested. And I've been banging away at this column for the better part of two weeks now. It was an idea in search of a philosophical core. And I found it with Robert's story and the impact such deaths have on all of us. When it looked like the pandemic was setting in, I fought depression over a friend's death and a feeling of helplessness by doing my part following the guidance of trusted health officials, epidemiologists, my doctor, etc. When things got better, I took advantage of small doses of normal, like a meal out, etc. Then things got bad again over the past month or so and the feeling of despair is back. A few weeks ago, I hit my breaking point. And it coincided with a number of factors associated with the Delta surge, including a few poorly behaved parents at school board meetings with their crazy conspiracy theories and badly formed definitions of freedom. If you follow their logic, they want to be free to do whatever they want to do, including sending their kids to school unmasked. If that impedes other people's freedom, say, to be free of coming in contact with a global pandemic, that's just too bad. I came across this meme the other day. Insisting on your rights without acknowledging your responsibilities isn't freedom, it's adolescence. True freedom, folks, is being alive to complain about your freedom. But as long as so many are in denial and not just uninformed but aggressively and willfully misinformed, this won't end anytime soon. You are either part of the solution or you are part of the problem. And to be clear, I'm speaking only to those eligible for the COVID-19 vaccinations, not those truly unable to get the shot because of age or other authentic medical situations. Reading Robert's obituary helped me to regain my focus on this simple truth. 
Just like there are not two sides on whether the grass is green or the earth is round, there are not two sides to the COVID-19 global pandemic. It's real. It's dangerous. Society must confront it with the best tools in our arsenal. Masks, vaccines, cleanliness and social distancing. At Mahoning Matters, we believe news and perspectives serve as robust entry points to knowledge and discussion. We work very hard to be apolitical. We hope to provide folks with information for continued discourse and enlightenment. However, we were not prepared for how politics infiltrated pandemic news. Following science, in some folks' minds, is liberal. Denying conventional COVID-19 mitigation efforts is conservative. That's ridiculous. Science is apolitical. The virus is apolitical. I now feel compelled to forcefully reject often loudly stated mistruths and muddled logic. For example, in response to David Beatra's August 27th column, too many people think their right to be stupid trumps our right to be disease-free. I got an email that a year ago I would have politely dismissed. Today, I don't think it's responsible to continue to pretend that every coronavirus opinion has merit. The experts have studied epidemiology for 20 years, the amateurs are googling sheep dewormer. So instead of merely dismissing it, here is the reader email from August, 27 and my honest reactions. Reader, I'm so tired of hearing from the vaccinated that they have rights. Attorney. Beatrice blaming the unvaccinated making his life and others so miserable, stating about their rights. Well, I'd like to say that the unvaccinated also have the right not to get injected if they so choose with all vaccines still not approved by the FDA. Me. Never have so many people done so little and expected so much. Most of us have done the right things to end this. Masked, socially distanced, stayed home, got vaccinated, etc. Others have done literally nothing but spread this virus. By not getting vaccinated, you are making this worse for everyone. And the Pfizer vaccine was approved August 23rd. Please come up with a new talking point. Reader. If he and others were honest enough, they'd see that unvaccinated Americans should not be blamed for the brunt of things. Me. I had a reader ask me recently why we couldn't just quarantine the unvaccinated. I think that's a great idea. About 98% of those hospitalized in Ohio this year for COVID-19 are unvaccinated people. The unvaccinated are responsible for almost all new cases, all the clogged hospitals, all the mask mandates, debates, etc. You. Are. Responsible. And if someone is denied treatment for a non-COVID-19 issue because the hospitals are overrun or the staff is overtaxed, vaccine refusers are responsible for that too. Reader. Our southern border is wide open with illegals coming in, they are not vaccinated and not tested. Who knows what variant they are bringing into our country. Seems there is a new one being labeled often. Me. Pick an argument. Either there is a pandemic and vaccines matter and everyone should get them to stop the spread or the pandemic is no big deal. Vaccines don't matter and everyone should have the freedom to do whatever they want. Pick one. But you don't get to be pro-vaccine only in the case of racial fear-mongering. That's not how a global pandemic works. That is a Fox News talking point, however. Parroting something you heard on TV is not stating an original thought. Reader. Maybe if the issue was presented in a less bullying manner, and all the vaccines be approved, more would be likely to comply. Me. 
I have sat through countless state press briefings in the past 18 months in which Governor Mike DeWine and state health officials have talked to you in caressing, soothing baby talk tones and dumbed the information down to a third grade level. It's insulting to my intelligence, frankly. And, yet, it has had no impact on you. There. While I feel better, I have to ask myself, will that help that person? Probably not. Perhaps this part of Robert's obituary will have some impact. Robert parted this earth on August 30, 2021 surrounded by his beloved wife, two youngest children, and two childhood friends. They held his hands and stroked his hair while telling him how incredibly loved he is, and told him, to, imagine his final moments on the beach at sunset with his wife in his arms and his children by his side. Devastating. Need more truth? Did you hear the story of YouTube stars Tristan and Dusty Graham from Alabama Pickers? Check out their YouTube video at the 41.00 minute mark, and listen as they share their vaccination refusal and even vaccine myths. And guess what? They both caught COVID-19. Tristan died, and Dusty is on a ventilator, according to a post Tuesday from Dusty's daughter Windsor on Facebook. There is a GoFundMe for funeral expenses for Tristan. I do hope for a full recovery for Dusty, but the reality is, how do you fully recover if your spouse and best friend dies and you could have played a role in preventing it? I'm sure he regrets his uninformed views on the vaccine and would do anything to turn back the clock and get his wife back. But, like many of you, he didn't listen to the right people. And it's too late. Everyone hates wearing masks and getting shots. But it's time to face reality. If you do not know the difference between legitimate news and propaganda, if you don't know the difference between actual medical officials and medical heretics, if you can't discern between news that informs you and fiction that feeds your confirmation bias, if you believe your ability to read an item on Facebook equates with a medical professional's 20 years of research, go find a mirror. You are the problem. And, sadly, you are the next potential casualty. I don't want to write about you next. Honest, I do not. I am tired of writing and editing stories about this damn pandemic. But I will, or someone like me will, get the last word on your bad decision. Get the shot if, for no other reason, to spite me. Still not convinced? Then go back and read Robert's obituary and feel his family's grief. It's palpable. Consider doing something before your family is forced to write similar words about you. People close to you have already told you to get the vaccine because they care. They are right. You have nothing left at this point but stubborn rationalizations. There's not another side to this. Listen to them. The table is tilted, folks. The game is rigged. And nobody seems to notice. Nobody seems to care. Good, honest, hardworking people. White collar, blue collar, doesn't matter what color shirt you have on. Good, honest, hardworking people continue. These people of modest means continue to elect these rich cocksuckers. You don't give a fuck about them. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you. That's what the owners count on, the fact that Americans will probably remain willfully ignorant of the big red, white, and blue dick that's being jammed up their assholes every day. Because the owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it.